Welcome to an episode of Weekly Weights. We lift weights and we are mates. On the weekend, we go on dates. Weekly Weights, Jim and Buddy. Weekly Weights with Alex and Will. Yeah, come on, Amy. Um, <laughs> it's Weekly Weights. It's a somber Will and Alex today. And we're sad because USAPL Nationals is over. And we're sad, especially for one reason, Alex. What's made you upset this week? Well, obviously the caliber of lifting over the last week was remarkable. Absolutely insane. I think pretty much every Open winner broke a world record total, or close to. Well, not officially broke, but not like Ray. exceeded. Yeah, not Ray. Ray was terrible, but still won. Yeah, well, it's like how terrible can you be while still like just shitty? Yeah, still scoring four hundred. No, he won by two and a half kilos. Oh, did he? Yeah, was he injured or something? Like, was he doing literally what he had to do to win because something had happened in training? Because I didn't really follow. No, I didn't follow either. But he missed a four twenty squat, which is weird because he's got a four ninety last year. Yeah, I know there was memes being made about it, and I was like, man, the poor guy. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe he was hurt or something like that. Well, he was sick before Worlds and then bombed, and then he got hurt at Worlds and then couldn't bench or deadlift so maybe he's still hurt from that anyway that sucks anyway Uh, but what annoyed me over the week was really really good lifters doing dumb shit like opening too heavy or like taking like opening heavy and then taking tiny jumps and going one for three and like dumb shit like that like as in definitely in principle all bad but do you think maybe in context when you're at when you're at particularly a big competition with a lot of pressure and possibly in one where you're not necessarily necessarily lifting side by side with your direct competition that maybe attempt selection just gets a bit muddied and difficult? Do you think that might be the case? Uh, not in the instances that I'm talking about. Like, do you want to name and shame? Because I'm I'm thinking because I I only watch the prime time sessions. Okay. So those are where they put the best you know eight to twelve in each weight class in the same group. Yeah. and they go at it and it's sick competition like there's usually three or four who are shot at winning and they're all like remarkable um, but like you love remarkable today as well hey. that's, that's your the word second the time I've ever said on the podcast and the second time in five minutes I what was it um, I had Sarah Wheel so Squeaky Wheel on mm-hmm. Instagram write to me about our last episode to ask if I said the word deleterious or deleterious on the podcast and I'm like, I don't think I've ever said that once, right? And I was like, I wonder why that came to mind. Listen to Stronger by Science, who we're having a feud with. Listen to Stronger yeah, by fuck, Science. fuck those guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I reckon Eric Helms or Trexler or whatever. Helms. It's Helms. Helms. Um, he said deleterious like probably 10 times in the space of five minutes. And I was like, has this chick got me confused for Eric Helms? Maybe. Maybe. Easily confused for other people. Or Eric, Eric Trexel, is that his name? Helms, Trexel? Uh, I don't know. Both, tractor or something. They're both doctors and both bodybuilders. Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, but the example that comes to mind is um, the 64 class. I think... is Was it Meg Scanlon? Is that her name? Uh, that's the name of a lifter. I didn't watch the... She finished third when realistically she should have been like a chance at winning. Yeah. Because she made one squad and like she opened way 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 too heavy and then missed depth and then missed when the other girls opened like you know opened lighter than her and ended up finishing on a bigger squat than her just like stuff yeah. you just see stuff like that and it's like just frustrates me and she did the same thing at Worlds too I was gonna say it's entirely possible like we don't know all the ins and outs it's entirely possible that she felt prepared for those numbers or felt that she had to open heavier for some tactical reason like I'm being generous here. It's also possible she just stubbornly did the wrong thing. That's possible. It's just when you see a lot of instances of that at a big competition, you either think people are doing the wrong thing or there must be reasoning behind it because it's like a pattern, you know? Yeah, maybe. I mean, she did the same thing at Worlds. She made one squad. She actually missed her first two and then came back and made her third. Maybe false sense of security tactic, like make her opponents think she's going to crumble and then just kill it. And then actually crumble. <laughs> Poor thing. All right. Um, I don't actually have a thing that really annoyed me on social media this week. Normally, I think of one. But I do have a thing I came across on social media that I thought was really interesting. So Andy Galpin posted something on Facebook, um, which I came across. 
And I'm going to read a tiny bit of the post. Our new study on the muscle fibers from an elite power lifter using anabolic steroids is out. Link to free paper at the bottom. The main findings showed his vastus lateralis, so that's your quad muscle, had mostly fast twitch fibers, 79% uh, mice and heavy chain type 2A, so they're fast twitch, um, that were relatively large, which is no surprise. Um, interestingly, he had more myonuclei per fiber compared to average adults, um, which highlights a potential enhanced ability for growth and recovery. So those of you who know a little bit about muscle physiology might know about the concept of like the myonuclear domain. So because your muscles are really, really, really big muscle cells or really big cells, muscle fibers are really big cells. I'm going to say that sentence less dumb. Muscle fibers are really big cells and the nucleus, which does all the like transcription of proteins and a whole bunch of other important functions, um, it can only survey a certain size of area. So when you have these really, really massive, massive cells, they need multiple nuclei to be able to do all the functions that are important for nuclei to do. Um, and so, so muscle fibers have multiple nuclei and one of the limitations on growth is the amount of nuclei that you have, or at least it's hypothesized to be the case. Um, and so in, in order for long-term hypertrophy to occur, we need the addition of myonuclei to sustain, um, to sustain function and, and synthesis of proteins and things over a really large area. So they observed that this guy had, um, a lot more myonuclei per fiber than average adults. Again, potential enhanced ability for growth and recovery. But this is the bit that I thought was really interesting, Alex. He says, also, we found one very large muscle fiber, right? What do you reckon his point of reference was for how large this muscle fiber is? If you can guess it in one, I'll give you $50 on air now. I have absolutely no idea. It was 20% bigger. This is what Andy Galpin, the scientist, wrote. It was 20% bigger than an average rhinoceros fiber. So, so, so they've got some roided up powerlifter from the UK who has a muscle fiber bigger than the muscle fiber of an average rhino. Like maybe reasonable to presume that muscle that like rhinos have bigger muscle fibers than people. I don't actually but we have, know. Yeah, we have no idea. Well, I don't know if muscle fibers have to like scale with the size of the animal or whether just like the total number of fibers has to scale because like cells are all kind of little, right? You might just mm. need more cells. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, pretty whack comparison, but pretty funny. So this dude now literally has it. I mean, that's probably not in the literature. I don't know. Maybe they did use that comparison, but that guy's now got it out in public that he's got like rhino-sized muscles, which I think is awesome. How much did, did that differ from an unenhanced powerlifter? Um, I didn't. I, I found this this morning at like 10, so I haven't read the full paper yet. Um, I did have a look at the abstract though and the other thing that was really funny so they said this guy is 40 years old the, the person that they're using for the study and then the acronym that they chose for heavier resistance training was HRT so it, it says he's 40 years old with greater than 30 years of experience with HRT and so on my first pass when I read that I was like this guy's been using steroids since he was that's fucked um, but actually 15 years of steroid use um so that was pretty funny, but I was like, I was like, not only has this dude been using gear since like before he had pubes, but he's also got rhino muscles. And I was like, who could possibly be the big roided up rhino muscle, no pube man child from the UK? And I'm yet to be certain. Do you want to just put a guess out there? 40 years old. I don't know if I know any UK powerlifters outside, Jason Blah, outside of the RBF. <laughs> Do you remember Jason? Is it like 50? Oh, fuck, I don't know. <laughs> All right. That's enough preamble. Um, although I think this podcast is going to be mostly just amble. <laughs> um, interesting. I don't know. I mean, preamble sounds like before walk. If you just take a strict like etymological approach to it and say like, what could this word mean? What are we going to talk about today? Will, what's the title of this podcast? Episode? I'm going to tell you after I talk about amble. Because obviously ambulance, like ambulance means walking doctor. If you get like the really literal translation from the, I think, Greek, right? And when you perambulate, you walk around. So preamble is literally pre-walking. So it makes it sound like we're going we're gonna to have this talk before we walk. You know what I mean? Um, and it does make sense. That rhymed as well. Yeah, it does rhyme. Um, and maybe like a post-amble would be just like a little summative chit-chat at the end. I don't know. Anyway, with that preamble aside, um, <laughs> with that preamble aside, what we're going to talk about actually arose um, 
during a discussion I had with a researcher at Sydney Uni recently. So I, I was there to participate in a study that he was running and he was looking at relationships between respiratory muscle strength and function and absolute strength in the power lifts. And he asked me in the process of doing my strength testing what he thought had helped me the most as a lifter um, in my development because at the time I was the strongest lifter that he'd had in the sample. Um, and so, so he asked me, what do you think has helped you the most in developing as a lifter? And then he started throwing out, throwing out a bunch of suggestions of things that might be, you know, was it like adherence to diet or particular training programming and things like that. And as we had a discussion, I started thinking that in my case, at least we'll see what you have to say, Alex, it wasn't necessarily one particular thing. It was like a cluster of behaviors related to a certain approach to training which I'm ashamed to say I probably don't have as much now, but but it's still worth talking about. So then I, I messaged Alex and said, hey, you know, it'd be a really great discussion to have on the podcast, which is to say what are the things that have actually helped us the most. Um, so that's what we're talking about. What have helped us the most as lifters? Alex, do you want to shoot? Quick aside. Yeah. During your participation in this study, yeah. you were told that you had less muscle mass than a certain individual who we've shouted out a few times in this podcast. Would you like to admit to this? <laughs> Yeah, that was that was one of the most shameful. Look, I'm I like to consider myself an evidence-based practitioner. I don't shy away from what the data says when the data says it, even if it challenges my assumptions. But there is no way on heaven or earth that Tom Clark had more lean mass than me when he came in to get tested. No way. Look at me, Alex. Well, he'll definitely be going to heaven and you won't be, so... <laughs> yeah, Tom Clark is notably religious. Anyway, yeah, the researcher did divulge that one of my clients had apparently had a higher lean mass estimate than me, but I just don't trust that at all. Um, whatever. Like, it was a DEXA scan. Yeah, what can you tell? I mean, he's got, right. pretty big, he's got pretty big legs, so maybe that carries him through. Yeah, all show, no go, though. He's also pretty heavy at the moment. He is pretty heavy. He weighed about the same as me. Um, anyway... Yeah, so apparently my muscle mass hadn't really increased in a few years. He's surprised I'm not weaker. Tom Clark's more jacked than me. Um, yeah, that was more so or less it. Good experience for you, Will. Oh, actually, another interesting, another interesting thing was for my like for my height and weight, my lung capacity, so the actual amount of air that I could take in was about twenty percent less than would be estimated to be the case. The actual function was like good, but. But that was relative to a really diminished lung size, which is quite peculiar. Maybe I have a small chest cavity. I don't know. Um, but my aerobic metabolism is quite good in spite of not doing any aerobic training. And like I can hold my breath for ages. So I'm wondering if I've just got, got like crazy levels of buffering and perfusion in my cells because I apparently just take in literally no air. Yeah. Interesting. interesting. Yeah. Um, anyway, more preamble. Longest <laughs> intro of all time. Yeah, okay. We've done a lot of amble. Let's get into talking about the things that have helped us as lifters. Alex, you wrote some stuff down. I wrote about 10 words okay, in total, that's good. which is a good start. Yeah, well, that's about all you say in the average podcast <laughs> episode. Why don't you hit us with the first one or two of those 10 words? Um, I think the first thing that sort of made me a better lifter was just choosing to prioritize powerlifting over the other sports that I was doing at the time. So when I was sort of 20, 21, I was playing basketball a lot, four or five times a week plus plus training. Um, and then rugby as well on the weekends plus one or two trainings. So like we're talking seven to 10 sports sessions, whether it be a game or a training session every week. And during that time, I enjoyed training for strength, but it was hard to like get in the gym given I was really sore all the time and you know I just needed to rest at some point didn't have the recovery capabilities to do like you know proper strength training and all the other stuff that I wanted to do so I guess the first thing was cutting down a lot of the a lot of the sport that I was playing do you think in a way that contradicts something that we've said on the podcast quite a lot which is how much you benefited from having that diverse sporting background well the the diverse sporting background gave me like an edge as far as like knowing how to move my body knowing how to train hard sort of having strength in different movements sprinting running jumping all that kind of stuff but if you're trying to couple a full load of sport with a full load of powerlifting you're going to run into some issues 
Right, but I think this this sounds like you're describing a situation where sort of push came to shove, and you either had to like you either had to commit to trying to be a better powerlifter, or say I'm going to be a recreational lifter and like compromise my results knowingly. Would that be fair? Yeah, absolutely. And was there anything that like psychologically made you want to take that plunge? You mentioned an injury at footy to me earlier, but yeah, anything else. Uh, the injury was the first thing, so I was a little bit. I was more upset by hurting my shoulder playing footy to the fact that I couldn't train, I couldn't mm-hmm. bench for a few weeks. I was more upset with that than not being able to play footy. So I was like, you know what, sack footy off, yeah. free up some time to, to train and obviously rehab my shoulder first and then get into it properly. And that was like the, I guess that was the, the first thing that actually had me like realize how much I actually liked strength training and wanted to pursue it. That's it. Oh, I was I was thinking you were going to say like there was some deep motivation that made you made you value strength over rugby, but no, okay, no, it was just like it was the idea that I didn't realize that I cared more about improving in the gym than I did at sport until that happened, right? And they were both taken away, and I realized which one I wanted to do more. Okay, what was your next point? Um, next point was hiring a coach. Okay, and why was that important to you? Um, that seems like a continuation of that decision to... Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So once my shoulder was back to 90%, I then seeked or sought, sought out or seeked? Uh, Sunth. Wrong. <laughs> that, that was like the worst possible sank. Probably, yeah, you seek or you sank. Yeah. I, um, I messaged Bryce Lewis um, because he was some he was someone who I looked up to and watched at the time. Also, yeah, seen no response. Congratulations, Bryce, on winning another no, USAPL national, national championship. Um, so Bryce responded saying, "I'm not taking on any clients, but I'm hiring people to work for me." And he introduced me to Hanny, and then that's when I started working with Hanny. So that was in August of 2014. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that was the sort of plunge that I made from hurting my shoulder to realizing I wanted to pursue strength sports to then actually getting help and actually like investing money and time into the process of getting stronger and putting the other stuff on the back burner. What do you think it is about getting a coach in your experience that actually like, let's put programming aside. What do you think it is about investing in a coach that, that actually improved your outcomes as a lifter? Like what changed? Um, I think it's just like, having someone do all the guesswork for you i think that's a big that's a big thing because i like i had some knowledge of programming and and training and stuff obviously i was working as a pt and all that but it wasn't my specialty Mm. and it kind of took the guesswork out of my hands and sort of just i found it easy to just follow what i was being told to do and like it's kind of it comes back to the experience that i had in sport i always had coaches and i always valued valued the coach's opinion and valued the sort of guidance by the coach whether it be in basketball or rugby or whatever that that relationship between the coach and the player in the sport context like helped me to win championships and perform better on the field or on the court and it kind of just made sense to me that the same thing would apply to powerlifting yeah but i think in that you're sort of tacitly describing something that i think is really true which is that like you look around and you say, what do people who are like successful and getting better do? Like they seek help, they have a coach and what does having a coach force you to do? It forces you to engage mindfully with your own training, forces you to be accountable to somebody and it like it takes away the option of just going through the motions or it doesn't take away the option but it certainly makes it less appealing to just go through the motions and suddenly, suddenly you're engaging with the sport on a deeper level. Even if like your coach sent you fucking, I don't know, starting strength or something, like... Because somebody else has said to do this and come back and tell me what it's like, you've already added a layer of processing and care and thought to your training that might not have existed if it was just like, oh, YOLO, like it's heavy squat day today because that's what I wrote myself to do. You know what I mean? 100%. It's so much easier to write off something that you've written yourself and just say, oh, I'll just do what I feel like doing today versus I'll follow this process because I'm paying someone money to tell me what to do and I value my money and I value their time in whatever they've given me i should by the way disclose that because i don't value my money or your time <laughs> i haven't really been doing your program for the past week or two that's right i just gave you someone else's program anyway so no, you haven't been right. wasting my time that's 
perfectly fine. All right. And I don't watch any of your videos anyway. <laughs> okay. Another thing that's actually, this has shat me on social media this week. So new iPhone update. And this is, I was speaking to Brandon about this, our colleague at Lyft. Definite just scummy move by Apple to try and basically make the um, make the processing demands of their new software so high that old iPhone models shit the bed and people buy a new iPhone. Like definitely what's going on because the new iOS sucks. And now when you send people videos on Facebook, you can trim the video and send it to them. And then you yourself, when you preview it, will see an untrimmed version, but they still get the trimmed version. And all the and like the video trimming on Apple and stuff has gone to shit. I don't like it at all. I have never updated my phone because I hate the new updates, and I'm so stubborn and old that right. I just have I have like a an update from like 18 months ago on my phone currently. Well, more power to you, and I'm jumping right on that train. Or I'm just I might just buy a new iPhone. My phone camera is pretty cooked, so I might just take the plunge. But it's yeah, those new those new cameras are sick. Like that new, yeah, they're a bit fisheye. Well, they've got that um, wide wide lens angle thing that you can use, where you yeah. can film like right up next to the bench, and it like looks like the camera's really far away. Yeah, sick. My my old coach Amir posted a front on squat video of him with that kind of fisheye angle, and it looked, it felt like his forehead was like on the camera, and then the ends of the barbell are like ten feet away from you because he was does just he does have a big forehead though. He's massive forehead. <laughs> Shout out Amir. So what was what was your next point? So you've hired a coach, and so so far what we've had is this realization that power thinks important to you, this decision to engage with it on a deeper level by hiring a coach. What was the next thing? Uh, the next two things kind of relate to each other. So one was. Um, finding training partners mm-hmm. and the other was training at lift so joining a specific powerlifting gym or a gym that at least facilitates powerlifters um these two things are important for extremely obvious reasons having people to train with is another way for you to keep accountable you're not just checking in with your coach but you're you know you're responsible for showing up and training with your training partners because they expect you to be there you expect them to be there you know, for whether it's for spotting or queuing or all that kind of stuff. And one of the big things that helped us when, you know, you, me and Doug used to train together and Jules and Marlena yep. at Lyft was like, we would all bounce ideas off each other about what we could improve about our technique, why we, do, we were doing certain things in programming. And those kind of things just assured us that what we were doing or the things that we were thinking about were the right things or were at least putting us on the right path for success. Yeah, I would agree almost entirely with that. And again, when you as a coach now talk to athletes, I mean, they've already presumably done step two and most likely step one. Like they've decided to prioritize powerlifting enough to hire a coach, ergo you're there. Do you then advise them to do things like find training partners and join a powerlifting gym or do you try and make yourself the training partner and fulfill that same role? Well, it depends on the kind of coaching that they're doing. If they're um, seeing me face to face and they don't really need the training partners because I'm there helping with all of those things that I mentioned but if they if they are an online client then yeah absolutely especially for people who you know I get their first training updates or they send me their questionnaire and ask which gym do you train at and they train at Anytime Fitness or Snap Fitness or something that's Snap City imagine <laughs> if the gym was called Snap City Snap City Fitness so good. Yeah. and like it's pretty unlikely there's going to be any much of a powerlifting scene at a place like that Yeah. and I try to encourage people people to join somewhere near them like especially if they're in sydney i'll know a few people and i'll try and sort of like get them to introduce each other or whatever a good example is um my client charles charles kafusi yeah i know charles he used to train he still trains sometimes at a 24-hour gym where there's no one there who lives but he's joined adonis campbelltown oh okay so like he goes and gets to use the comp equipment he's there's a bit of a vibe there there's coaches there's you know people to bounce ideas off people for spots all that kind of stuff um, I was a little bit offended on behalf of Anytime Fitness that you said that there wasn't a powerlifting scene because at my local Anytime Fitness, <laughs> no, it's not the guy you're thinking of. Oh, God. Um, there's another guy who is legendary in strength circles for doing 28 kilo front raises. Um, no, there is a guy and he's like a Hawaiian apparent powerlifter and I've seen him doing wrapped 200 kilo squats sky high, right? But he's so committed to powerlifting that he'll go in late at night 
And because he doesn't like how spongy the floor is, he'll literally pull the rack, the entire squat rack, into different positions to try and squat in the gym. And so he's been told off for doing it. So if you train it at any time, late at night, you can actually, you can change your conditions, your training conditions to absolutely optimize things. So that's also a consideration. If you can't have good training partners, maybe just go to any time and just do little interior design tweaks to the gym. The extra effort is just absurd there. It was great. When we had a discussion about training, because I was in squatting and he was in doing whatever terrifying thing he was doing at the time, um, he said some very enlightening things. He was an interesting guy. Okay. So if you if you had to sum up, though, all of the things you said, just like thematically, what does it describe? Well, What's the difference between a recreational participant and somebody who's actually got like that growth mindset? I think it's just immersing yourself in the community because literally everything that I've alluded to there has something to do with the community. Like realizing that you care is the first thing because everyone else who's in the community cares and they, they all want to improve. Hiring a coach, that's another way to get into a new community. I remember when I started with TSA, there was a bunch of people over in the States who... I would always talk to on Instagram or on Facebook or whatever who were, you know, coached by Hanny as well or coached by one of the other coaches and it makes you feel included and like, like involved. Like. Yeah, absolutely. Follow for follow. Yeah. And then you unfollow like six months later and they don't notice. Yeah. Or you just get a bot, get a bot to like, like and follow people for you. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the same thing applies with joining a powerlifting specific gym, just more in a like concrete context. Like you're actually physically there seeing people. Um, and the same, yeah, the same thing with training partners is just creating community, getting involved in community and growing community. Yeah, I think um, your response, like it shares some similarities with mine, but it's a little bit different. Um, because when... Because I'm a people person, Will, and you're not. Yeah, when he was like, did you join the community? I was like, fuck that noise. <laughs> um, I want to be left right alone. Um no, when I thought about it, because um, Daniel said to me, like, you know, um, do you think it was that you monitored your, your nutrition? Because we spoke about, like, that I used to track my macros very strictly, particularly when I really cared. Um, was it that I tracked my nutrition that I thought gave me an edge? Was it the programming I got from Adonis? Like, was it learning technique? And I was like... <sighs> All of those things definitely mattered. Like, obviously, good programming helps. And obviously, like, tracking my nutrition helped. Doing preparatory work for my sessions helped. Being, like, proactive and reflective in trying to improve um, my technique helped. But all of those behaviors that I identified as having contributed to my most rapid growth in capability as a powerlifter they all came from just a like a mindset or just like an approach to training which was the decision that I wanted to be good and and not just like I want to be good so it'll happen it was like I want to be better at this so what things can I do actively to facilitate me getting better and when I look across my clientele and even across powerlifting Australia and the world and look at the lifters who are like really good and or getting way better, like continuing to improve. They're people who are, you know, like some of the good ones can chill out and stuff as well on the way, but like they're studious in their approach to getting better. They say, you know, like think about Matt Bartholomew. He's probably one of the most meticulous trainees that you and I know, and he's rapidly becoming one of the best lifters in Australia. Um, And when he spoke to us, he said, he, you know, Alex got a coach. Um, Alex got a coach. Matt said, I'm going to get a nutrition coach. I'm going to get a training coach. I'm going to see like a Pilates instructor or something for some corrective exercise. And I'm going to have, you know, weekly or bi-weekly check-ins with a physio or a health professional to make sure that my recovery and my movement's going well because I've got these chronic injury concerns. Like that's a bit extreme. But he basically just said, what are the potential obstacles to me getting better? How am I going to, how am I going to overcome it? And did that. Um, you know, you look at, I don't know who else is a really good example, you know, like say Liz Craven meticulously analyzes her technique. I've spoken to her quite a bit about training, you know, thinks thinks constantly, what can I do to get better? Charlie Athanasiu, when we spoke to him, you know, one um, when we spoke to him on the podcast, that rapid improvement he saw in his deadlift, remember when he said he wanted to make himself a 300 kilo puller, 
the first thing that changed his mind was, well, what are the things that 300 kilo pullers do that I'm not doing currently? You know, whether that's in training, like literally the numbers I lift or my approach to training and he did it. And, you know, like I said, I'm ashamed to say I'm not as much, well, in fact, I'm very much not like this now, but when I was like 22, 23, 24, I was like, you know, I want to be good at powerlifting. So I'm, you know, of course I want to go to bed early and I'm going to like make sure that, you know, I hit my macros and I'll foam roll things that are tight and I'm going to learn about squat technique and like self-analyzing things because like, why wouldn't I? I want to be good. And, you know, I'll engage in my programming and I'll talk to my coach and stuff because I want to be good and I want to be involved in this process and make sure it's going there. And that's a far cry from being like, you know, anxious about making sure that things are, are going right. But it's a very active, involved approach. And I think some of my lifters who perhaps train hard but don't actually gain at the same rate as I did then, like, sure, they may be less talented, but oftentimes they're also the people who think, well, if I just show up enough... I'll get better. And it's really not just about showing up. It's about showing up and true investment in the sport. Does that ring true to you? Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of, it's closely aligned with like, you know, the things that I said as well. It's like, okay, I've decided that I want to do this. Mm. What are the things that I need to do to achieve the goal that I want to achieve? And that for me was like, okay, I need guidance. I need coach. I need training partners. I need like-minded people around me. I need the proper equipment to train on. Mm. Um, and for me, those were the those were the boxes that I that I need to tick. So it might be a little bit different to the boxes that you decided to tick, like you know, sleep, nutrition. Yeah. But I was getting nutrition advice and well, all that fuck kind of stuff. Knows you can sleep. Hey? Yeah, I can sleep. I did not need any guidance on how to sleep. <laughs> no, Alex, I you might be part bear because I've never seen somebody so able to just like lie down and just knock off, like. You've got it sorted. It's because yeah. when I'm awake, my mind is just racing with ideas. I was going to say, <laughs> it's running at max capacity to process very simple things. <laughs> yeah, no, but exactly right. It is It is that as you, you troubleshoot. But like, it's entirely analogous to, I always like music analogies because they're really easy. Um, it's analogous to like wanting to learn to play guitar. If all you want to do is just like, you know, play Wonderwall and have people sing along, doesn't take much involvement like what do you do you buy a guitar you know like go on the internet watch two or three tutorials get a tab blam you can play wonderwall like you're fine but if you actually want to be good at guitar then what do you do you get music lessons you play and record yourself you play with other people you ask for feedback you know you deeply engage with other music you take lessons like you not sorry you don't not just music lessons, like you take lessons from other contexts and reapply them. Like you do all of the things that you would expect somebody to do who wanted to get better. And so I think when people, when people ask Alex or myself, what, like, what can I do to make myself a better powerlifter? Often we can pick out one or two behaviors, one or two behaviors that are going to give you a lot of bang for your buck. And often they do. But if you're having to ask that question, it might also be because you need to say, well, like, what level do I really want to participate on? And if I really, really want to be better, what are the things I would already be doing? And then start there. And oftentimes, I think people actually probably intuit those things. Would you say that's true? Yeah, and you made a good point earlier with, like, comparing yourself to where you want to be. Mm. Like, in the bringing up the mad example. Like, if someone, you know, if you met a 20-year-old lifter who had aspirations to be the best 94 in Australia you'd go, okay, well, what's the best 94 in Australia doing? And you can point to Matt and say... Oh, I thought you... Because you gestured to me at the time and I was I was going to humbly say I was narrowly beaten by Matt who got lucky at, <laughs> at Nationals. But I'd be happy to give my advice to other aspiring 94 kilo lifters. But yeah, Matt is also a good example. I'm glad you brought him up. Well, my point is, is like you can look at these people who are where you want to be and say, okay, where were they? Where were they when you, where you are now? And what were they doing? And what have they done in the four or five years to get to where they've been? And then you can focus on those things. And if you take the Matt example, it's nutrition, sleep, turning up and training and putting everything into training, mm. analyzing technique, having a team of... Um, coach, nutritionist, physio, Cairo, whatever else, um, psychologist, whatever. Yeah. Um, and going from there. 
Yeah, I mean, like, obviously, again, Matt's example is a bit extra, but it's extremely illustrative of, like, somebody who said, basically, I want to get better. And then the other thing that kind of arises around this discussion is one of my... This is a pet hate, is people who, when you point out, when they say, hey, I want to get better at powerlifting, what could I do? And you go, you know, why don't we address some of these behaviors around training and your attitude to training? They go, oh, yeah, I'll do that when I'm better. And you go, well, fuck, like, you'll never get better then. Because, you know, the people who say, I'm not willing to, I mean, like, what's a particularly useful example? I'm not willing to do a little bit of preparatory work for my sessions, or I'm not willing to self-analyze technique a little bit or reflect on my training or I'm not willing to go to bed early when I have hard training the next day or like make some accommodations to my lifestyle to facilitate facilitate my training I want to have it all um then they're not going to get much better yeah you can't have it all from a result standpoint if you're not willing to put it all in in the first place yeah and again that is actually fine but then you should say well I'm engaging with the sport on the level that I want to engage. Yeah, with. like how how good do you want to be should dictate how much effort you you should be required to put in. Like if you only want to be ten kilos better at the end of each year on your total, mm. then you only need to put in the work that's required to get ten kilos better. But if you want to be thirty kilos better at the end of each year, then you know that effort yeah. is going to be a lot higher. Yeah, or maybe the way I would phrase it is that you need to balance the scales, which is to say like. If you have two completely, completely diametrically opposed desires, then you need to choose to prioritize one or trade off on both. Yeah. Um, and also related to that concept is the other pet hate that we actually haven't bashed on in, I reckon, 65 episodes. I'm going to semi-confidently say that. Well, we spoke about Westside last week. It's better than Westside. <laughs> Junior lifters who are really talented, who could be the best in the world and end up dropping out of the sport. Oh, I was thinking about this the other day. Yeah, so I think, I actually think this is partly related to the same phenomenon where just like I said, oh, actually, I don't think I've said this yet, but some people aren't that talented. If they try the hardest in the world and do all the best things, they'll still never get that good. Totally fine. Doesn't make you a worse person. Some people are crazy talented. They don't have to try that hard and they get really, really good. But then when push comes to shove and it says, well, actually, like, I need to invest more of myself to get more back from the sport. And, you know, I need to start getting rid of some of these counterproductive behaviors in order to facilitate my ongoing training and all of that. If they're not willing to make those changes, then that's often where they do drop out because instead of saying, like, I'm going to adopt this growth and get better mindset, they just ride their talent until their talent disappears. And the people who are like, I don't know, Brett Gibbs or something, rode their talent and then went, well, fuck, I want to keep maximizing this and made the changes that they had to, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that's the thing we haven't bashed on in a while. How sad is it? Like, I think the worst part is the ones who will look and take, I want to be world champion in two years and then they maybe get to that point or just fall short, but they've trained so, so hard in those two years that they're overpowered and they're burnt out. Yeah, I think that sucks too. That sucks. But... I mean, actually, that- also is what you said. The people who aren't willing to, like, you know, if if they get to like, let's say, four fifty wilks in three years of lifting, very good lifter, like yeah, that's a higher level. But then they're not willing to do what it takes to get to four eighty or five hundred or whatever the case is. Yeah, and again, I actually think that's fine. But if you, I guess, what I'm actually trying to illustrate, because I don't have a problem with people who are weak and choose to stay weak if they actually choose it not if they whinge about it that annoys me um what i'm actually trying to highlight is that if you desire growth you need to have a growth mindset you need to say what are the things i can do what are the things i can put in place to facilitate this if you if you desire growth and you're not willing to do anything to get it and then you're frustrated by the fact that you don't get it then you need to assess whether you actually want it or not and again whether you do or not totally up to you yeah it's the the old uh, Amir Fazeli quote, don't be upset with the results you didn't get for the work you didn't do. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. Another classic Amir Fazeli quote is... Um, Chest up, confident. That... <laughs> that is... If you go to any powerlifting competition that Amir Fazeli is, is coaching at, he will say that. And to great effect, I'll say, over the course of his coaching career, no, I was going to say... You got this, bro. I was going to say the, I think Socrates quote might be Plato quote about like, you know what, um, 
like no man has the right to be an amateur in physical endeavors what a shame it is that somebody wouldn't you know get full use out of their body be sick somebody wouldn't get full use out of being jacked and tanned yeah i i definitely amended that quote. i amended that quote heavily to whack be sick at the end of it something's is bro i actually brandon again shout out brandon our colleague made me watch the first two or three minutes of the Ziz Legacy video on YouTube. It's pr- so good. Prior to my squat, two hundred thirty-two and a half kilos. It's so funny because, um, like, it's actually good. And if you can get above the fact that it's like the ultimate meme, it's got lots of really good points. But the thing I can't get over is basically how much it's exactly like Batman: The Dark Knight, where he's like, you know, there is no Ziz. There's a Ziz in all of you, and all this stuff, and like. Is it Batman the Dark Knight where that happens or the Dark Knight Rises where there's this whole, uh, I don't know, there's this whole thing of like we're all Batman and like, you know, Gotham City has to like, has to learn to have pride in itself and be the hero that they want to be and shit like that. Yeah, I think that's the Dark Knight. Anyway, point is, extreme Batman vibes from Ziz. Um, The best Ziz clip ever is the one where he goes and, um, he goes and like flags a cab. And they're like, don't remember. They're like, where are you going? He's like, oh, just Mount Olympus. <laughs> so good. Oh man. Anyway, that's actually pretty much all I had to say, like on topic for this episode. But yeah. I, I think it was kind of valuable. Um, if I had to sum up what I would say in short, it's that is like your mindset or the like your desires for what you want in training should should lead to the behaviors that get you what you want and if your focus is on behaviors without without addressing that underlying approach to what it is you're doing and why you're doing it and why it motivates you then probably those behaviors won't stick or they won't come from an authentic place alex yeah i completely agree okay we're going to take a really quick break and then we're going to come back for underrated overrated properly rated Blammy. Okay, we're back. It's weekly weights. This might be. We actually the- haven't said what episode it is yet. It's seventy nine. Oh fuck yeah! And cool. also today is NBA day, so I was going to say happy e- NBA day, everyone. I don't care about the NBA. This is going to be probably the worst chat we've ever had because <laughs> Alex is so excited about NBA day that he's got his phone open in front of him on silence so he can watch the fucking Houston Hood Rats or some shit play. Not the Houston. Not Houston are playing. Who is it? It's the Raptors, Pelicans, and there's two minutes left. The game, tie- the game is tied. You know, Pelicans evolved from Raptors. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Never thought about that. Iconic. Who's going to win, Pelicans? I think the Raptors will win. Man, imagine if your team was called the Pelicans. That's like a classic insult. It's a, it's a meme. It's like your team being called the Geese. <laughs> I think we had this discussion. Or the, or the at, Clowns or something. I think we had this discussion at the most recent powerlifting comp when we were. Um, when we were tidying up that like if you just call anybody anything with the right amount of like i don't know pizzazz 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 is a completely inappropriate good word for what i was going to say if you call somebody something anything with the right amount of just vigor sheer hate vigor vigor is good vinegar if you give him some vinegar any word becomes an insult like it's the same as like in australia if you say anything about like being drunk you can call it anything yeah like i was trolleyed yeah like, trolleyed makes b- sense means nothing <laughs> but like um i have this really strong recollection once of getting out of the water surfing and there was a um there was a surf comp going on and surf comps shit me so much because they just put flags up and essentially say nobody can surf in this area because we've got a comp going on and then if you do like people on megaphones yell at you and they just drop in on you and stuff anyway which is like fine but like you're not professional surfers and it's been annoying because they always take the best peak they don't just pick like a random one they always shit me so so i've just gotten out of the water and there's a surf comp going on and the guy in the megaphone is just howling down at anybody who's surfing in the competition area like kind of rightly but also a bit like for god's sake man like chill out it's a community surf comp and he goes get out of the comp area you fucking carrot (laughs) to this guy and so i immediately went oh fuck i wonder who this ranger is in the comp area like they must have red hair (laughs) so so i spin around and start looking thinking this guy's making an ass himself there's a bloke floating around in the corner of the comp area no one else who is 
brunette as they come. <laughs> just sitting there in a wetsuit. This dude just called him a carrot as an insult, and it was the best. The best redhead insult is Fanta pants. <laughs> like easily the best. That's pretty funny. All right, it's underrated, overrated, properly rated. Alex, do you want to go first? Yeah. All right. Well. Yep. Overrated, underrated, properly rated. Squat shoes for squats. You know, we're thinking along really similar lines today. When I, I'll tell you mine when we get to it. Um, uh, I want to say properly rated, but I'm veering towards very slightly overrated because if they help you squat better, you should wear them. Agreed. If they don't help you squat better, then it's going to be somewhere between neutral and possibly a negative for you to wear them. Mm -hmm. So you shouldn't wear them. There are some people who wear them unnecessarily because they think that they're, that they're a necessity for squatting. And so here and there, overrated. But for the most part, I think people just intuit that like, hey, I need these. Like, I feel better squatting in these. So they squat in them and it's great. And other people go, hey, I can squat really effectively in these flats. I don't need those shoes. They cost a few hundred bucks. I won't wear them. So for the most part, properly rated. What do you think? Um, I think I agree with you, but I'm going to go slightly overrated because I think too many people hear them as being called squat shoes so they assume okay i need these for squats Mm -hmm. when in reality i would say over half of my lifters don't wear squat shoes and i know a lot of people who unnecessarily wear squat shoes who actually like shift too much away from their knees because they're in a position that the squat shoes put them in which they shouldn't be in like just slightly too upright yeah they're slightly too upright and they shift away and then therefore their balance is off when if they were in flat shoes they might be better balanced and they wouldn't shift as much I say that quite often. Yeah. Um, so I think just calling them squat shoes makes them overrated. But if you call them weightlifting shoes, that's fine. But like, I mean, you and I both wear them. Yeah, but I can actually squat in flats. I can squat high bar in flats and front squat in flats. But I'm much more comfortable. It feels like I'm doing a partial when I wear my squat shoes. Yeah. So I elect to. Um, yeah, I tried flats for like four months and it was a disaster. Yeah. And the other thing is like, if I just come in a bit stiff for one day in my shoes, it's like, oh, I'm a bit stiff today. If I come in feeling a bit stiff, squatting in flats, it's like, oh my God, like, mm. this is bad. Um, what was I going to ask? Oh, okay. Your turn? No. Squat shoes though with metatarsal straps, like the ones that actually limit your ankle tracking, but often have a flat sole. Terrible. Like I do not for the life of me understand that. It's like I'm going to strap you in so tight and make it really, really hard for you to actually move. What, those wrestling, like the wrestling ones that have like, the, they go up like yeah, halfway yeah, and up the Yeah, strap across your ankle and then people call them a squat shoe. I'm like, that is the opposite of a squat shoe. I haven't seen a lot of people squatting those. I see people deadlifting those. Yeah, I've seen some people squatting them and I'm like, mate, do not. Um, yeah, squat shoe should allow your ankle to move. Okay, um, my one, similar, was like... Going one size tighter on knee sleeves. Like just I'm just just general call of like tighter than is necessary knee sleeves. Where necessary is they fit and don't fall off. Um I think properly rated. Okay. I'm willing to hear your thoughts on this. Um I notice that my confidence improves when I wear a tighter sleeve in that I'm able to go in faster. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps. Yep. And I think a lot of people share that sentiment. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the sleeves are too tight that you can't get them on or they're uncomfortably tight and they're like cutting off the circulation to your lower leg, then don't do it. That seems eminently sensible. So I, I don't think there's too many people who wear sleeves that like actually hinder it. Yeah, but and lots I think of people wear like a small when they could wear a medium comfortably and probably a large. Like as in, you know, you could wear a lot. Like you wear smalls at comp, right? Yeah. Like you and I have similar size legs. I wear larges in training. Like, and it's fine, right? Yeah. So you could totally just wear larges or mediums the whole time. Do you really think you're getting a lot out of going to a small? I don't think I'm getting a lot out of them, but I think I get enough to warrant it. I'm like, I actually do the same thing, so I'm not... I'm just not one, going just one off. size up? Yeah, like... Well, I, this I, is the thing, I wear my, feel tight. I wear mine for like four or five weeks before the comp. 
So like they're probably not like super like restrictive because I've stretched them out a little bit. I guess what I'm getting at is I'm skeptical that going tighter, like if knee sleeves help, there's probably a very small mechanical benefit to them and there's probably a proprioceptive benefit. And then I suspect it's almost like a placebo above and beyond that where it's like you feel more confident, you like you approach squatting differently. Perhaps by having that proprioceptive input, it just changes the way in which you actually do things. Like, Yeah, but if you get that placebo, it's a result. Oh, absolutely. Like as in it doesn't mean they're not helpful, but I wonder how much additive help there is in going one size tighter or whether it's like as in from a physiological perspective or whether it's literally that you just believe that going tighter will get you some more spring or like, or you wear your tighter ones for comp. So it creates a psychological environment that says it's comp now. And so you do things. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps that's it. I mean, these aren't knee wraps, like getting more revs out of your knee wraps means that you get more out of your knee wraps. Have you ever tried revving your knee sleeves? Apparently not. Vroom, vroom. (laughs) Vroom, vroom. That might, that could be the next Burke method. Just troll Instagram post about like wrapping my knee sleeve around my knee as tight as I can. See how many people do it. What do you reckon? Because you've seen the you've seen what's caught on at lift, right? The squat stance, feet up, bench press. So, one of my friends, I might have told this on the podcast before. One of my friends used to say to me when I trained at Willoughby Fitness first, because I was the strongest person there, that if I did something silly consistently for just a few weeks, it would catch on. And so I should do it and just see who's been watching in the gym. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. And he was like, come on, just pick one dumb exercise and do it. And I was like, I'm not doing that. And then recently when I was training at Lyft, um, I began doing some feet up bench press as part of my bench press warm up. Um, And because I happened to bench press on a bench that is very close to the wall, I would often just put my feet up against the wall in a squat stance like as in same width as my squat hips and knees at 90 degrees do a feet up bench press there's only that one bench you can do it on though right yeah but that's the one that i'm almost always on so that's why i do it absolutely no reason beyond that right and this dude always watched me train and had made some comments about my squatting and stuff a few times and at one stage while i'm training i got my headphones in i'm doing some deadlifts and he goes and pulls the bench out of um pulls the bench out of the rack I've got to get this correct. The squat rack was in use, so there was no squat racks available. So he got on one of the adjacent platforms, which is a weightlifting platform, and got one of the movable racks, brought it in really close to the wall, got one of the powerlifting benches and jammed it against that rack so that he could bench out of it and then put his feet up on the wall and started doing squat stance feet up bench. Best thing I've ever seen in my life. And a few other people have been doing it recently. You're a trendsetter, Will. I am a trendsetter. Guys, look at my bench. It doesn't work. Can tell, I can tell you that much absolutely for free. Um, I don't have any more to say for this episode. Alex wants to watch the NBA. Yeah, this game's about to go to overtime. Cool. All right, guys, we're going to talk to you next week. I'm Will at W.BerkmanPT. I'm Alex at AlexHayes underscore process. Peace.